So, when was the last time you were excited about something? I mean, really excited. So excited that you couldn't wait to tell somebody or show someone something. For some of us, it might have been the day of our engagement to our spouse, the moment of knowing this is forever, we're going to spend the rest of our life together with the one that I love. Or maybe it was when you got the job that you had wanted so long, the transfer to that group that you had always wanted, the next step in the career. Or perhaps it was you closed a big deal in business and a client was satisfied and the boss was pleased. Or perhaps it was when your child was born or when a son or daughter got out of diapers and you victoriously spent the money you were going to save on a nice dinner. Or maybe, just maybe, it was that Taylor Swift made it back from Japan, found a parking place for the jet, which wasn't easy, all in Vegas to be there in time for her true love. Maybe that was the time that you were so excited. Whatever it was, I have no doubt that you had a burning desire to share it with someone, your husband, your wife, your colleagues, perhaps your parents or your closest friend. This is the way that God made us. We naturally want to share our joys with someone else. For the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about encounters with Jesus. Pete shared about John the Baptist preparing, pointing the way to Jesus after this encounter. And Frank spoke about the calling of the first disciples. And today, I will be speaking about Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus found in the first chapter of John. So let's stand and read God's word together. All right, this is John 1, to 49. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to, me, to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. This is the word of God used to teach us, to correct us, to guide us. This is his word for our benefit. Please be seated. So much had happened in the days before Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Looking at the encounters with Jesus earlier in the chapter of John, I see excitement. The contagious excitement of one infecting another. I also see the power of invitation, simply inviting someone to take an action. The days leading up to Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus are described in John 1, 29 to 43. I'm going to highlight a few of these verses leading up to the moment when Nathanael meets Jesus. So let's first take a look again at the very beginning of John. John had been baptizing believers in Bethany, a village on the Jordan River, and the crowds are following him. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, look at him. This is it. This is the fulfillment of everything we've been thinking about. Behold doesn't just mean to see. It means to comprehend, as, it is, as in, do you get it? This is the guy. This is the one who came to take away the collective sin of the world. Your sin and mine, every man's, they were all laid on Jesus Christ. This is the truth which would be repeated for millennia. John was excited. Just the day before, he had been explaining to the religious leaders of his time that he himself, John, was not the Christ, but that Jesus was on the way. John can't wait to give his testimony to the crowd about what he has seen and experienced. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Now we come to day two. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Here again is John exclaiming and pointing to Jesus. This time we find Jesus pointing out to, pointing, uh, John pointing out Jesus to the two that had been previously following John as, their, as his disciples. And what happened next? When the two disciples heard him say that, this, they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. What? No complex theological argument, no four spiritual laws, just John pointing to Jesus. Is this really how the first disciples were called to follow Jesus? Remember, these two up until now had just been following John. They've been following John around the whole time. But now John says, no, this is the guy. Let me point you to Jesus. Now Jesus turns around and he says, why? He asks them, why are you following what do you want? And this is a question that he still asks of us all. What are you looking for? Do you know the purpose of your life? Why are you following me? The new followers, in turn, ask him, where are you staying? They're, they're thinking of the practical aspect. Where are we going? Where are we going to put our head? Where do you live? They wanted to know exactly where they were headed. And Jesus simply, excuse me, <clears throat> simply replies, come and see. And they go with him. A call to firsthand knowledge of Jesus. Can you imagine? The Son of God inviting these guys on a journey. A firsthand journey to journey with Jesus, to experience him. What an amazing call. And the call he used was, come and see. Jesus invites all of us to investigate further. Think of this. Again, the God of the universe inviting us to journey with him. These two had heard about Jesus, but they needed to know more. Jesus invites them to come along. There is so much that Jesus wants to share with us, but not all at once, on a journey with him. Psalm 34, Robin mentioned this this morning, encourages us to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Now, let's watch carefully the power of invitation in these next couple of scenes. Andrew, one of the two, goes out to find Peter. He tells him he's found Jesus and brings Peter to Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. The first thing, what does that tell you? He was excited. It was his priority. It was not third on the list. I'm going to sometime find, you know, find him, but he went out first thing and found him. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother. He wanted to share the good news. Now we come to day three. Jesus is off to Galilee, but before he leaves, he goes to find Philip, and he simply tells him, follow me, or come with me. Uh, Philip, now excited about the prospect of following Jesus, takes off, and he looks for Nathaniel. Note, Philip is looking for Nathaniel. He's wanting to share the good news with him. Philip found Nathaniel, which implies he had to look for him, and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and of whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Nathanael puts the brakes on all this excitement, and he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael is thinking, Nazareth is this tiny town, population maybe 300. He couldn't recall it ever being mentioned in the Old Testament or the context of the Messiah. Certainly, this little nondescript town couldn't produce someone important. This is like saying the next president will come from Spangle, Washington. Anybody been to Spangle, Washington? I have. It's a town, population 284, north of Spokane. Um, It's tiny. It's like saying the next president is coming from Spangle, Washington. Now, Philip enters into the defense of Nazareth, extolling its virtues as a fine town, and why shouldn't the Messiah come from there, and what is wrong with you anyway, Nathaniel? This is the Son of God we're talking about. What's your problem? No, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't rise to the defense of Nazareth or where Jesus was coming from. Philip is a quick learner. He just experienced Jesus say the same thing, and he simply says, Come and see. Come with me. Take a chance. See for yourself. He challenges Nathaniel in only one thing. Lay aside your preconceived ideas about Nazareth, about the Messiah, long enough to come and see. Now, Nathaniel takes that chance and has his first encounter with Jesus the Messiah. Now, Jesus takes it from there. Excuse me. <coughs> Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now Jesus gives Nathanael an amazing compliment here. He calls Nathanael an honest person. Actually, it's a little bit deeper than that. Not only is he an honest person, it's a person who doesn't wear a mask. The word deceit, which Jesus uses here in the, Greek, the early Greek writers, used to describe bait on a hook. The bait on the hook was a cunning contrivance 
for deceiving or catching something. It has the notion of subterfuge or deceit or craft. It's also used of the, in the Bible of Jacob before his change of heart in Genesis 27, which is Jacob deceiving his father on his deathbed. So this idea, there was no bait and switch. There was no mask in Nathaniel's life. Nathaniel was who he said he was. And Jesus said, saw straight through that and said, this is a guy who doesn't wear a mask. He's, he's for real. Jesus also mentioned he already saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. Now, under the fig tree was a phrase that rabbis used to describe meditation in the scriptures. So we can suppose that Nathaniel spent time in prayer, meditating on the scriptures, and Jesus told him, I saw you there. Whether or not it was literal or a figurative fig tree, Nathaniel heard enough to convince him that Jesus was who he was claimed to be. By the end of the conversation, Nathaniel has a simple statement. Behold, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, the problem with being excited about something and sharing it with someone else is that they may not be as excited about it as you are. We take a risk every time we share something that's exciting to us with someone else. Maybe they won't be as excited about it as we are, like me not caring if Taylor made her flight. But what is the real risk? What is the real risk here? In our society, we have tremendous freedom to speak about whatever we believe. Isn't our perceived risk really our perceived risk of losing status or being embarrassed or someone will think we're crazy or deluded? This is really only a risk to our ego, isn't it? Let's put our circumstances in perspective. In my job, I'm responsible for creating strategic partnerships. One of the organizations we're speaking with uh, and entering into a partnership with is called Open Doors. Open Doors was founded in 1955 by a Dutchman, Andrew, uh, more widely known as Brother Andrew because no one can pronounce his last name in Dutch. But he decided to smuggle Bibles to persecuted Christians in communist Poland. He continued the work smuggling Bibles to many of the Soviet-controlled countries. Remember, this is 1955. In 1957, he was given a blue Volkswagen Beetle, which he used to make deliveries within the communist bloc. An older couple had given him the car, brand-new car, because they had prayed about it and believed that Andrew would need it. Another man who lived in Amersfoort, the neighboring town, taught him how to drive because God told him to. Andrew didn't know how to drive. Thereafter, the work of Open Doors continued to expand and expanded its network throughout Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. Today, more than 365 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. That's one in seven. Open Doors works in over 60 countries, which they rate on a scale from high to very high to extreme according to the persecution our brothers and sisters experience because of their faith. This is a map from 2023. One example of faith in action. In 2023, last year, 80,000 
80,000 North Korean Christians were kept alive with food aid through Christian Chinese networks facilitated by Open Doors. I wonder how a believer in North Korea would feel if we suddenly transported them to the U.S. where they could openly share their faith. These followers of John and later Jesus were eager to share good news. Jesus, God in the flesh, here on earth, the one who had been prophesied about, the one who had changed the world. What about our faith and our experience as believers? Is it exciting enough to tell others about? Are we ready to share it with others? Are we willing to risk our ego? An invitation to come and see is a personal invite. What about Jesus' invitation to you to come and see? Do you take the risk of finding out more? It's easy to focus on the obstacles of sharing our experiences with with Jesus. Let's look at some of these for a minute. Thank you. Excuse me. Preconceived ideas. Just like Nathaniel, many have preconceived ideas about the Christian faith or what church is like or what Christians are like. Or maybe they won't be interested anyway. Who here works for Microsoft? Who has ever used a Microsoft product? Okay, Bill Gates, profiled in January 1996, Time Magazine, cover story. He said this, Just in terms of allocation of time and resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. So they might think, won't be interested anyway. They might think we're a little bit zealous. Are you some kind of Jesus freak? The term Jesus freak was coined in the 60s. It was walking around with a copy of Good News for Modern Man um, and preaching the gospel. Or we don't feel qualified. I don't have enough Bible training to really talk intelligently about the issues. The fact is, we all are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ, no matter how inadequate we feel. We need to be doing more of what John, Andrew, and Philip did, finding others and pointing them to Jesus Christ. The theme of all the verses I shared is find and bring. You see, those of us that are believers have been found. Think about it. You've been found. You're in this room because you've been found. Now, finding implies that someone is looking. No one sits around waiting at home for the lost purse or wallet to show up. They go out and look for it in the car, in the street, in the shops. We, in turn, should be about finding others. The Institute for American Church Growth asked 10,000 churchgoers this question. What was responsible for you coming to Christ and his church? Pretty obvious slide. I had a special need, 2%, walked in, liked the minister, visited, liked the Sunday school, attended a gospel meeting, liked the programs. Nope, 79%. A friend or relative invited me. 79%. Those are pretty good odds. Jesus is his own best evidence and proof. He is the one that saves, not us. 
He is the one that convinces through the Holy Spirit, not us. Our job as believers is to point to him, to tell of our experiences and bring people to the feet of Jesus. Think about Jesus' prayer for more workers in the harvest in Luke. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. David Platt, he's a pastor of McLean Bible Church in D.C., he has an interesting comment on this. He said, why do you think Jesus would look around at the crowds around him that day with all their deep needs and then turn to his disciples and, say, and pray, tell them to pray for themselves? The answer is humbling. When Jesus looked at the harassed and the helpless multitudes, apparently his concern was not that the lost would, come, would not come to the Father. Instead, his concern was his followers would not go to the lost. Let me say that again. His concern was not that the lost would not come to the Father. Instead, his concern was his followers would not go to the lost. Where does this power to point to Jesus come from? Today is a day to remember the source of power to do what God has called us to do. As believers, we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as those first church members did. Peter reminds all present of the prophecy of Joel in Acts. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. It is this power of the Spirit that gives us the ability to overcome obstacles to the faith. It removes our fear of rejection It gives us power to the words of our invitation, and it changes the hearts of those whom we invite to hear the good news. Which brings us back to excitement. I would say, even more than excitement, joy. Is your joy in Christ contagious? Do you have enough joy in you that you can invite one person to church, to a small group, to a prayer meeting, to a church church service or something similar? Are you willing to go and find someone? Really look. Are we as committed as Brother Andrew, God's smuggler, the founder of Open Doors, who said this? I literally believe that every door is open to go in and proclaim Christ. As long as you're willing to go and are not worried about coming back. If God has taken a hold of your life and you have changed because of it, why not share that with someone else? First Peter says, In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What is this complex method we're talking about of introducing to Jesus, others to Jesus that we need to be following? It's nothing more than Jesus used himself. Come and see. Now, if someone hadn't done that with me, hadn't invited me, I got invited, used to go to uh, Westside Presbyterian Church. I got invited to Westside Presbyterian Church in West Seattle because of a friend of mine who said, come and go skiing with me every Friday night from 3 to 11. And so we went on a steamy ski bus to Snoqualmie, or Snowcrummie, as we called it, this this year especially. But because of that, I went to youth group. 
I went to young adults. I ended up leaving and, and spending time in Europe as a missionary. All of that started because somebody invited me to go skiing and built a relationship. Took the time to build a relationship and invited me to come and see. The church is filled with opportunities to bring those that we know to meet Jesus. So what can we learn from this? If you do not have joy in Christ to share, something is missing. Think about Jesus' invitation to come and see. What does that look like in your life? If you're a believer, do you regularly take that invitation to come and see, to spend time with them, to follow him as the disciples did? If you don't have faith, will you accept the invitation to come and see and taste that God is good? As believers, we've been found, and we should be finding others. Go into all the world. It also says, as you go into the world. So you don't have to leave. As you progress through your life, Christ convinces We don't need to. Our responsibility is to point and testify, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. Remember, there wasn't a defense of Nazareth. It was an invitation to come and see. We're going to take a minute here and just be silent. We've been encouraged over the past few weeks to think of someone who we we want to encounter Jesus in these next months. As we take this minute, I want to pray for that person and then ask God to show you what is the next step in introducing them to Jesus. Is it more time with that person? Is it a meal? Is it an invitation to something that the church is already doing? What, what will it take to invite them? So let's just take this minute, and I will watch closely that it's actually a minute. And let's pray for those people. Lord Jesus, it's no accident that you've uh, placed these people on our hearts. And we ask, Lord, that you would lead and guide us. Help us, Lord, to come alongside of them. Help us to point to you. Lord, we give you thanks for your Holy Spirit that allows us to do this and spurs us on to action. Amen. A long time ago, I saw a banner, and I've shared this with some of you, over the back exit doors of the church. And it had the following words. It was boldly emblazoned on a, on a cloth. And I always thought, you know, if I ever... Um, build a church. This is what I would want on the exit doors. It says, you are now entering the mission field at the exit, right? Not, not the, the in, coming in. So I want to encourage us, let's live on that mission together. Let's live on that mission. Let's encourage our neighbors, our friends. Let's come, with the, come alongside of them and ask them to come and see. I'll call the worship team up. We're going to now move to a time of communion. And we want to come to this table 
which Jesus has set for us as a reminder of his sacrifice on our behalf, his continued pursuit of us with mercy, and a reminder of our assurance, the assurance of eternal life with him. His sacrifice is, is symbolized by the bread and wine before us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before he died for your sin and mine, he broke bread and he said to his followers, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As you come for communion today, you are declaring that Jesus is Lord of your life. As you eat the bread and you drink the wine or juice, humble yourself anew, repent of any known sin, and commit to following him with an undivided mind. The elements are up here up front. Please come alone or in a group if you like. Take the bread, dip it in the wine, and take it to your seat or somewhere in the room. And just reflect on what Jesus has done for you. I want to thank you for coming today and very glad that you're here.